1: Hello and welcome to this week's No None Never podcast. Uh, this week I'm joined by Natalie. Uh, we're going to be discussing the Watford game. Um, just going through a, a few of the key key points from that and, and looking forward to Stoke on Tuesday night, which if you're listening, uh, as soon as we put it up, is either tomorrow or today. And uh, Brighton on, on Saturday, which for most of you is probably the next game because uh, I think most of you probably listened after the Stoke game. Um Natalie, uh, another win um, against a team in the top half of the league as well. Uh, Watford have been really good away from home up till now, and they've scored at least two goals in every away game. Um, just how big of a win do you think that was, and how do you think the game went?
2: Well, firstly, I think it's a it's a massive win. Every win in the Premier League is is a great way to to um, celebrate, isn't it? And it's a great way to show that you're improving as a side. But when you play a team though I consider to be one of your, I guess, immediate peers in the league. And what I mean by that is that Watford aren't that dissimilar to Burnley in terms of the size of the club and their ambition and where they sit in the Premier League, with the exception that they've been in it for a couple of seasons longer than we have. So as such, are much stronger than we are. They've got a better, you know, their squad's a better squad. They've got a little bit more money to spend. And So I was really looking forward to the game on Saturday because I felt that that was a real test of where we currently sit and whether this current Burnley side is a fluke or whether it's actually the real deal. Um, so t- to get three points from it, and I think in the end, three comfortable points, to be honest, um, it just shows that that Burnley really have really got what it takes this season to compete with that top half of the table.
1: Yeah, I, I think it was a, a really important uh, win for us, um, you know, particularly our home form uh, so far this season maybe been as good as our away form. So. To, to, to get a, a win like that. Um, I think it just wonders for the crowd. Um, you know, and the position it puts us in the league is absolutely sensational. Um, obviously we'll, we'll get a little bit more into the possibilities of, uh, what our current position could mean, um, later in the, 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 episode, but, um, obviously sitting where we are now, I think it's, is it six or eight points clear of Watford? Um, it, it's a really strong position to be in. And, um, it's really difficult, actually, at this this stage now, to see us slip in into the the bottom third even of the league. I think you know the the top half obviously should now be the target. But um, I, I think anyone who thinks we we're, we're still picking up points for safety um, is definitely a. a maybe a quarter empty tap person roughly even half full
2: <laughs> you joke about that James though, but I still am saying that I still keep walking around going for more wins to safety four more wins to safety I know I'm going to stop doing yeah. it from this it, moment I'm going to stop
1: <laughs> there's a reason we've always called you negally so uh...
2: hey <laughs>
1: Anyway, continuing with the Watford game, there was a a few changes in in the team uh, for Saturday, obviously with Brady missing. Um, It was an opportunity for Scott Arthur to come back in. Um, Ben Mee missed the game with a nasty gash to his knee, um, giving Kevin Newt Long an opportunity that he hasn't seen so far this season. Uh, was when you first saw the team, um, you know what were your first thoughts about it?
2: Um, well, obviously the the change in midfield was one that was expected. I think obviously we all knew that that Brady's now been confirmed as being long term out, and I don't think any of us genuinely expected anything but Arfield to come in for that formation. The, the change in defence surprised me just because I hadn't heard anything about a possible injury to Ben Mee. I saw some rumblings, I think, on Friday, to, but that was, oh, Ben Me's more than likely going to make it after a gash to the knee. But I don't remember him coming off against Leicester and obviously nothing had been said during the week. So that was a surprise and a blow. Now, we talked about this last week and I think um, Daniel Bentley, who we had on the um, podcast last week, was quite calm about this in that he felt that any changes to the defence were actually fine just because of the standard of of understudies that we had waiting to come into the wing and the defensive drilling that we'd been doing in training. So I was trying to really keep his words in the back of my mind to to refresh them and say, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Um, Barsley, again, I was fine with because I think he's done fantastically well since Matt Lawton's been injured. But this was a huge test for Kevin Long and I think it's a slightly different prospect than maybe having to change a midfielder or changing a right back and this is no um, I guess negative on any of the other players but that centre half position is absolutely vital and it's such an important role in our um, defence and the way we play so I was nervous for him that said um Sean Dyche has, has shown over the years a most unbelievably unwavering support of Kevin Long for, for whatever reason, he believes in him. Um, so we're having to learn over the years to trust, trust Dyche's instincts with that. And, and I think one thing that I was, well, well I was surprised to say that I, I didn't expect him to play just as well as he did. I thought he had a really good game. But I think there were two things that I think um, really... I guess, did it for me. I think one of the really key things for him was that he had to make a really strong challenge in the very early stages of the game where he, he almost put a Duffer-esque ball through the uh, the top of the stand. But that was really important for him because he, he had to make his mark on the game and and let people know that they could rely on him from a confidence perspective. Um, but I think there's the, the two things for me. I wonder whether... Um, an improvement and a a higher discipline from Kevin Long and a better technical ability was very much down to the fact that he is a first reserve this season. Last season, when we had Keane and me as the first choice and Tarkovsky as their backup, Long kind of knew he was never going to to have to come in unless there was a disaster. And as much as we're told that it's a very disciplined side, I think it's a very different proposition for Kevin Long as being um, so far down the pecking order and trying to work hard to impress his boss than actually knowing that at any moment you can get called into the side if there's an injury or a suspension. Um, So it doesn't surprise me that he has improved as much as he has. Has done because I think he'll be being worked on a lot more um, st- strictly than maybe he was in the last couple of seasons. And um, but secondly, I think a- another key thing to his performance was just how. Generous Tarkovsky was with his play to help out the newly um, brought in Kevin Long. I saw some real leadership qualities from Tarkovsky on Saturday. He really stepped up. When it's him and me, me very much takes control in the game. He's very much the boss. He runs a defence and he watches out for, for Tarkovsky. And Tarkovsky just took that role and took Kevin Long under his wing, and covered him, made sure that he knew what he was doing and just allowed Long that freedom to relax into the game and to play the game and and to do what he's been told to do. So full marks from me, I think Long did a great job. Um I, and again, it's just shown that as worried as we were about the, that defence, um, in all of the positions now, we've got really good cover. Heaton was out, Pope comes in, you know, Lawton gets injured, Barsley comes in. With, you know, we've got Charlie Taylor to come in if anything happens to Stephen Wood. And now we've got Long, who's just can step up to the plate and and uh, and cover for us. So yeah, fine for me. I'm I'm really happy. I'm really I think he did really well.
1: I thought he was sensational, actually, and I I did see a few people um, sort of doubting how well he'd be able to play. In fact, our former host, uh, Jamie Smith, I saw that he tweeted, um, off field, uh, upside down, smiley face, and Long, upside down, smiley face. And I think both actually (laughs) ended up managing to prove him wrong. I I thought Long was really good. He, He cut out a few key balls. Um, he came into the side really well. It, it must have been difficult for him, having seen the way that you know me and Tarkovsky have been together so far this season. But I think he did everything that was asked of him, and uh, you know it, it wasn't necessarily an easy front line to play against either. Dean is obviously quite a handful, so um, I was really impressed with the the work he did. Um, like I was saying there, Kevin Long stepped in really well. Um, I think, obviously, we'll still be hoping that, that Ben Mee's not out for too long, but um, it, it shows that he, he can deputise well. But it does, I think, raise a concern that um, once you get beyond Kevin Long, if Kevin Long is to get injured, um, what is the left in reserve? Uh, I mean, Charlie Taylor, obviously, we've seen him play at centre-half for us before uh, in pre-season. Uh, I think Barsley as well was sort of seen as someone who could maybe play centre-half, but obviously, he's now currently in for Lawton, so there's only a left back available to cover at centre half is that a little bit of a worry for you going forward I promise
2: yeah it is and um, I think we, we covered that didn't we in, in the previews to the season we we always knew that we would be stretched at some point in terms of this squad um, it's a risk I'm not entirely convinced that it's a necessary risk but clearly there is a business strategy at the club that we have to work with as small a squad as is possible I'm hoping with the January transfer window that that's going to change somewhat in that we are now established. We look like, unless a disaster happens, we don't win another four games and don't draw um, 12 games for the rest of the season, that uh, we're going to spend the next 18 months minimum in the Premier League. So maybe that will change slightly. Um, I don't know, but I think... um, I understand the reasons why, but I think if, if the club's now got, is getting used to its position in the Premier League and is starting to enjoy where it is, then I think that um, strategy does have to be relaxed a little bit and we need to start thinking about um, growing the squad a little bit more, not necessarily in huge numbers, but I think there are now a few positions where we could just do with one or two more just to to help us out.
1: Yeah, I think I said on Claret's play at half-time on, uh, on Saturday that... Um, I think centre-half is the one place that we're really missing that sort of two-deep cover. Um, I know Dash tried quite hard in the summer to get someone in, but obviously he wasn't able to to bring either the, the right player or a player at the right price, um, whichever of the two of those it may be. Um, but I, I'm sure he'll be looking again in, in January because it is somewhere that, uh, you know, it's easy to pick up five yellow cards in the Premier League these days. So, it's um, somewhere that we can be expecting suspensions and injuries to maybe have an effect. Um, obviously, there's a, a red card in the the, the game. Um, I think it, it got a, an interesting reaction. Um, I was looking at, at, at the time on social media. Uh, there was a real mix of, of Peter sort of views. And um, personally, I thought it's one of those ones that in the modern game, you just can't get away with. He, he goes in two footed. Uh, one foot's quite high. I think DeFore sort of jumps to try and avoid it he's still caught on the ankle um and and for me it's one that is a clear red and obviously the referee didn't hesitate but i've also seen plenty of people say that maybe it should have been a yellow um i think most burnley fans were saying it was the most clear cut red card you'll ever see uh but for me it was one of those ones that can go either way um it's probably a red card in the modern game what what did you think of the, the the red card, both real time, and then when you see it back, because I actually think it it maybe looks worse when you you see the replay. Um, he comes in fast in in real time, but yeah. uh, when you see the replay and just actually how high he catches before, I think it's it sort of adds a little bit to
2: it. Yeah, you're right. I, I completely agree with you, James. I, I was I had the benefit of the the tackle happening right by where I sit, so it literally happened just in front of us. And actually, um, we had the, the the line of sight where the defender comes in running, he's running towards us to make the challenge. Uh, so we saw it um, face on and we were in the same, uh, well, we, I guess the opposite, but the same angle that the referee was at. And... It was, so all we saw were two studs off the ground. So at the time I knew it was a red card and, and he it, it seemed to take his time over the decision, not a huge amount of time, but for a split second, I did wonder whether he was going to just show a yellow card, but we were on our feet straight away. It looked nasty. Um, no, I've got a very close friend of mine who I work with, who's, she's a great girl and she's a big Watford fan. Um, and she was in the away end at um at the game on Saturday and she was texting me saying like, I, I can't see from our end what was that. Was that studs up? It looked like studs up from where we were. So bearing in mind that they're in the top corner of the cricket field stand, guess looking at it from the other angle, she said it looked studs up as well. So everybody in the ground from our angle knew that it was. When I, I didn't see the replay until I was watching match of the day and I actually saw Phil Neville's reaction before i saw the replay because somebody put a clip on social media where he said it's never a red card for me it's it's just a booking i was like really i'm gonna have to see this again and a lot of people are saying um a lot of the experts are saying oh, it depends on what angle you look at i've yet to see an angle where it doesn't look like a red card um and to be honest if you look at it in comparison to Jeff Hendricks' tackle last year um, down at Watford, there's not an awful lot in it, and that was a, a clear red card. And at the time, Burnley fans didn't have a problem with that. We thought, well, actually, yeah, it's a red card. When you saw it again, so I just think, I just don't think it has to be knee high and a hundred mile an hour with you know rage on your face with the intent to break somebody's ankle. It was two footed and it was off the ground. So even if it was only ankle height, it's a red card
1: it's interesting you mentioned the the Jeff Hendrick one I think that came up when I was uh you know speaking with my dad at halftime on, on Saturday he said it's not dissimilar to that one uh, and it's definitely the case it is one where you I think the Hendrick one was one that could eat go either way some games um you know you don't get booked and other games he would he got sent off like he did and I think that's the same for this one um I think it's maybe even more likely that this challenge gets sent off just because of where it is in the game. Hendricks was really early on. Um, Referees tend to have a, you know, a a favour letting things go with a slightly softer punishment. uh, The earlier it is in the game. Um, But, you know, at the the stage it was, it, it was a, a daft tackle. I thought it was really just, Defoe was going nowhere in the position he was. Uh, and I think it's one of the ones where really the player, when he sees it back, I, I don't think he can have a complaint. He's, he's made an error of judgment. He's leapt in when he didn't need to. And uh, ultimately, he's he's been sent off for it. And he's probably cost his team the game, I think. Um, so moving on from the, the red card, uh, there was a lot happening in the game, really. Didn't it? But Burnley, obviously, managed to score before half-time, which I think is always uh, key. Um, playing against 10 men is not something we've always been the, the best at. Uh, I was going to say under dash, but I think maybe for even a little bit longer than that, um, it seems that we've managed to be held to draws by a lot of teams who've gone down to 10 men. Uh, I thought Arfield was having a really quiet game on Saturday, uh, but he takes the goal so well. Um, and I think he's got a, a bit of a habit of this, sort of having quiet games where all of a sudden he comes up with a really big, important goal. Um, it's a great first touch, I thought, to to round the defender, and he finishes it. I think it's a, you know, finish that any striker would be proud of, and it's one hell of a way to to mark your return to the team. I <laughs> think uh, it's been a little while since we've even seen him as a sub, yeah, and to to be honest, I feel like I'd almost forgotten he was a, a Burnley player. Um, what did you think of the both the goal and Arfield's game in general? Because obviously, I think we're going to see quite a lot of him now that that Brady's out.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh well, I certainly think we're going to see a lot of him up till January. I'm not entirely convinced yet that Dyche will rely on um Arfield all the way to the end of the season. If for more than anything that's he's our only cover. So what if what if he gets sent off in a game? What if he gets himself injured? We're absolutely um uh, we're in a lot of trouble, shall we say. <laughs> I very nearly used some colourful language on the family f- family-friendly podcast. Um I agree with you, James. I think um, up until around the time of the sending off, I thought he was having a quietish game. I don't think he was having a poor game, which I think we've been um, critical of in recent times. He's taken a lot of stick of Scott Harfield um, in recent times. And I think a lot of that is not because... I don't think Scott Harfield's suddenly turned into a bad player, but there's a natural evolution of sides as they improve and they grow up the divisions and. Scott Arfield has been a fantastic player for us, especially in the Championship and the first, um, the 2014 Premier League season, He's, you know, he was he was a, a really important player for us. But the side's improved and the quality we've brought in has improved. And the natural um, selection process to that is that players who aren't quite at that same level as the new players that are coming in are left behind. And that's when they, they move on and go to other clubs. So um, I was a little bit worried about Arfield's ability to step it up both in terms of his own ability but also the fact that he's been out of action for so long um But I thought he did all right, even though he was quiet. I do think he did all right. I think he i, I just think he was a little nervous, maybe, and I think he lost the ball a couple of times in the early stages, but then it was it was just about growing into the game around the time that the, uh, the red card c- came on. And he was starting to find a few better passes and stringing a couple of passes together and actually being useful um, to to the midfield in, in that left side. The goal was absolutely fantastic. I don't know where he found that from. The, the trickery with his feet, I thought, was fantastic. His awareness of of where Gomez was was fantastic. And his confidence to put it in the back of the net was just... Honestly, I can't sing his praises enough. And the minute that goal went in, his confidence level and his... Ability just absolutely rocketed. And the second half, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. I thought he did really well. Um so yeah i'm 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 quite happy for him to to be in until until January. um I'm so sorry, Scott Harfield, but I do think we need um to improve and bring another midfielder in, considering that we have' got obviously aspirations for European football, which I'm going to still keep saying every week until it happens <laughs> but um but no well done scotty you you did really well and and you know you you really showed Deitch why uh, he should be keeping his faith in you.
1: So there you go, Scott Offield. if you are a listener, um, Bromers has given you a a positive review, some good feedback on on your performance.
2: You did well. Good lad, Scotty. I
1: I do think it was a quiet game for him, but in saying quiet, I don't mean bad. Um, He didn't really get a lot of the ball. A lot of the the play seemed to go down the other side. Um, I think... uh, they played a lot on their left-hand side, and obviously we played a lot through Johan berg who I'm going to come on to now, because he was absolutely sensational again. Um, he set the goal up. Uh, he cut in really nicely and played a great ball to our field. He, he looks really uh, lively on the ball. He looks like he can create a chance from. You know, anytime he gets the ball, he looks dangerous every time he's got it. He, he had two two attempts well saved, both the free kick in the first half, which I thought if, if he'd maybe got it two or three feet higher, uh, the keeper probably doesn't get to it because it, it's that that well positioned sort of to the side of the goal. Um, and obviously the, the opportunity in the second half, and I really think actually Gomez, hats off to him there. He's made two fantastic saves from two great efforts uh, and gomez has been very unlucky not to score. Um I think now this is maybe three or four games in a row where I'd say Gunmanson's been easily one of the best two players on the pitch. Um, he, he's looking the absolute real deal and and, and a bargain really from Charlton. Um, now he's managing to stay fit, uh, Natalie, because that was a big problem for him last season. He had a, a lot of niggly injuries and I don't think we ever really got to see the best of him. Um, you know, Does he look like the, the buy of the last couple of seasons?
2: Oh, God, yes. <laughs> he might very well be the buyer in Burnley's history. No, that's a little bit uh, dramatic, I guess. But no, I- I'm a huge fan. I think he's fantastic. He was, I can't add anything to what you've already said, James. He was. He had a great game on, on, on Saturday and he just is the creative winger that we've been crying out for for such a long time. And he terrifies defenders. He really does. I mean, I'm not entirely sure that that Watford defence knew what to do with him at any point. They were too scared to tackle him because for fear of... of losing, um, sorry, conceding a free kick or, or a penalty because his feet are just that quick. And that ball that he puts in for the goal is just unreal. You fully expect him. This was the analysis that was on match of the day and it sounds like I'm, I'm copying it, but I, I just, I agree with them. This is what they said. And, and, and it's so true. When Goodmanson gets the ball in that area, everybody who thinks that Burnley is a direct long ball club expects that ball to just get sort of on a, a 45 degree angle over to Wood's head, direct in the back of the net. And he just doesn't. He just pulls it back, lets the defenders commit themselves to Wood to move forward, puts it in behind them. Hendrick, for his part, does an absolutely cracking dummy. I, the, the, the awareness to do that and to know where Arfield was was brilliant because he could have easily jumped on that himself and had a shot at goal. But I think he realised very quickly that Arfield was, was better placed. And Arfield just, they're all committed and he just, gives himself so much space and that's all from Goodmundson's cross and he's just seeing things that I don't think many of our other wingers have seen before he's, he's amazing I love him
1: Yeah, the moment he seems to be the the rare thing in wingers which is consistent um, I think we've said this many times before uh, particularly about Brady where we, we've you know maybe only just been getting to see the best of him when unfortunately he's you know, suffered quite a, a serious injury um, but Gudmundsson in these last sort of three, four games at least has been, you know, one of the top two players on the pitch. And then even going back, I think, to, to when he sort of started his most recent run in the side, he's just been absolutely, uh, you know, sensational, been getting better every game. Um, I know obviously this season I've banged on a lot about Jack Cork and, and Stephen DeFore in the middle and how good they look. But you've got to remember that they're sort of, you know, six, seven, eight million pound players. Um Goodmanson costs nowhere nearer that amount, and he's playing, I think, just as good as the two of them. Uh, so really, for me, he could be the best value buyer we've had as a Premier League uh, team uh, ever. Uh, you know, we've we've been spending bigger bigger money these days, and I think both him and Nick Pope uh, are looking like two sensational pieces of business. Um, you know, considering the way they've both been playing this season, it's absolutely fantastic to see. Um, moving from from one, uh signing of recent years to another uh, and one who ultimately has left again. Uh, Andre Gray came back to the turf on on Saturday. I was a little bit surprised to see he didn't get the start. Um, I think it says a lot about how much money Watford have have been able to spend that they can have a player who costs them that much on the bench. Uh, I know he's not really necessarily got going for them yet but that's partly also because he's not started too many games. Um, He he came on uh, quite late in the game uh, and there was quite a few boos around the ground before there was a little bit of polite applause uh, and then a few minutes later there was some chance saying there's, there's only one greedy Natalie what do you think about the, the reception that, that Andre got because personally I, I was a little bit disappointed to hear fans yeah. uh, react like that to someone who's so key to us
2: Same definitely same I was really disappointed to hear it um, I'll never understand the level of hatred that Burnley, hands, Burnley fans have for Andre Gray and this isn't a a reaction to him leaving. He, he was like that when he was here, the amount of tweets and the amount of comments we heard from people while he was playing for us saying, I'd sell him He's useless. Get rid of him. He's lazy. He's, he's got a touch like a brick. He does have a touch like a brick, but you know, he's got other skills. Make drop up a bag for that. Of yes, quite. Um, but he, he's one of the most prolific strikers that we've had at the club. He is, he will be a really successful premier league striker. His style of play didn't fit into where Sean Dyche was moulding this side. And that's one of the reasons why we sold him. He, he wasn't going to get a game. If we hadn't sold him in the summer, he'd have spent most of the season on the bench because he's, his style of play just doesn't fit with what Dyche is trying to do. And I don't think we'd have been as successful. We wouldn't have bought Chris Wood for a start and we just wouldn't be playing um, the kind of football that we're playing. And the, the song that we are you know, there's only one greedy, yes, you're quite right, bleep, bleep, um, Hang on a minute. I would love every single fan in that ground who booed him and sang that he's greedy. I would I would like to put you in a room with a lie detector test and say, you're being offered exactly the same job as you do now. You're going to get paid twice as much money as you're doing it now. You don't have to do anything more or nothing less. You also get to move closer to home because at the moment you, you're having to commute miles away from home and you're miles away from your, your, your family and your girlfriend, um, but I'm, I'm not expecting you to, to take that because you're really greedy if you do. No, are you kidding me? Every single one of us would do that because it's an opportunity in your career. And then add to that that footballers' careers are um, shorter than everybody else's. I, there's a problem with it because footballers earn the money that they earn. And for some, you know, somehow they should be being expected to, to take minimum wage or whatever. And I understand that. I understand the pressures of the economy and I understand the. Oh it's not it's not a jealousy issue that's not right because it's more of a it's a disproportionate isn't it it feels like they're living in a world that most of us will never ever aspire to so for them to be on the level that they're on and want more um is somehow you know morally indefensible but it's not guys it's the nature of the game and why should Andre Gray not want to get the best that he can do when he's not settled here he's miles away from home and he's off he didn't go seeking it he didn't go to to Deitch and say I want to leave I'm fed up you know Watford came in for him and said actually we're going to pay you twice as much as you're on now and you get to live with your girlfriend every day and I just I don't get it I just don't understand it and I just think we should just remember what a fantastic player he was for us. And without his goals, we wouldn't have won the championship title. We might not even have gone up automatically and be back in the position we're in now. So I think it's, it's short-sighted and it's really disappointing.
1: Yeah, I think I, I was looking at some uh, some tweets on Twitter and it, it led me to, um, to comparing him to a couple of former former players who wouldn't get a similar reception. I think obviously Jay Rodriguez, every time he comes to the turf, gets a sensational reception, uh, rightly so, obviously a player who's homegrown um, not as good a goal scoring record as Andre Gray though for us, he he scored less goals in, in more games um, Danny Ings, another guy who I think w- wouldn't get a bad reception he has the the worst record out of all three of them um, for goals at the turf so it, it's interesting to see the, the reaction and it was always interesting I think in the Premier League last season to see so many fans criticise someone who not quite single-handedly, but not far off, got us into the Premier League in the first place. Uh, you know, if you take away his goals that season, I don't think we get promoted. Um, so, it, I, I'm not saying it, it wasn't the right time to sell, uh, considering the the way Dash likes us to play and the, the type of player Grey is. Um, you know, we did a good piece of business, I think. Uh, we signed him for a decent fee and we sold him for an even better fee. Uh, we brought someone in who I think fits Dash's sort of style of play a little bit better. Um, and I think it's worked out probably for all parties, but to see that sort of reception for someone who I think should rightly go down as uh, a player who could potentially go on the wall of legends, to be honest, um, for, for what he did for us that season to get us promoted to the Premier League uh, was bitterly disappointing for me. Um, so to go from someone who didn't deserve his booze to someone who definitely did deserve the the booze he received um I thought we probably had a, a really poor game <laughs> I tweeted this and someone said back this must be something about Lees uh, because him and Lee Mason both shouldn't be referees um there was two disallowed goals um we, we'll start with the the first one um obviously the, the ball was played to Jack Cork and Jack Cook was clearly onside um, and and Chris Woods on side as well ultimately, and I, I believe this wasn't even shown on much of the day, which is um, shocking to be honest. Uh, Ashley Barnes is in an offside position. Um, I'd have to, I think I'd have to actually look at it again, even now, to to see whether he tried to play the ball. Um, but obviously, it's key to remember that really in the offside rule, you have the player has to be active. Um, just being in an offside position isn't enough, um, and. When I saw it in real time, to me, I don't think Barnes does enough to become active. Uh, What do you think, Natalie? Do you think we were robbed of a goal there?
2: Um, I don't know, to be honest, Birdie, and I'm going to have to leave this one for you to lead on this. At the time, in real time, I couldn't see where the offside was and I I just thought it was a weird decision. But I didn't see enough of it because I just don't think I was looking in the right position and I was celebrating the goal. So I didn't see it. And then because I couldn't understand where the offside had come from, I just thought, well, I'll I'll watch it in the replay and see. And then it's not just match of the day that didn't show it. None of the Sky coverage showed the first disallowed goal either, which, Birdie, you're right, is completely bizarre. How can you show a goal? that it wasn't a goal and it, anyway. So to be honest with you, I'm going to have to rely on your um, anal- analysis of that first goal. And if you say that it wasn't offside, it was a goal, then fine.
1: It's one of those ones, I think, um, I'd have to have a look again and really sort of analyse what Barnes did. But uh, unless he's, you know, <laughs> made, a, made a move to play the ball, uh, by the of the the all, oh, he's, he's onside. And um, this actually came up with a, a friend on Twitter, Chris Gilbert, said... Barnes is offside. He he doesn't have to, he's not played the ball, so it doesn't matter. And he says, he doesn't have to play the ball. I said, well, he does. The the rules are, the player has to be active. Um, I think it sometimes complicates the offside uh, uh, rule a little bit, um, because, you know, what is active? What is an attempt to play the ball? is just running in the general direction. The ball's going enough. Um, I'm not sure, but it it was disappointing, I think, to see that one um, given offside. But the second for me, it, is it even worse. Um, the ball's clearly not intended for for Barnes, who is in an offside position when the ball's played, um, but it ricochets off two Watford defenders in order to change direction to to fall into Barnes's path, um, and he, you know, dutifully dispatches it. Um, Natalie, what were your thoughts on that one? I, I know I think there was a quite a long conversation between linesman and, and referee after that, and for them to both get it mm-hmm. wrong is I think shocking and it comes back to what we were saying a few weeks ago about consistency in the Premier League and I think it is becoming you know quite the worry that we're talking about a game that's meant to be the highest level of domestic football in the world and referees so, are just not getting some so decisions right. Well, we,
2: we, this was a, the biggest feature that we had wasn't it in the podcast a couple of weeks ago where I got a little bit ranty about just how shocking the level of referees it is again and you know, we did get some feedback from some listeners who weren't impressed with um, with the idea that referees are poor in this league. But I'm sorry, I stand by my decision. Uh, sorry, I don't stand by my, I stand by my opinion. Um, it's week after week. You know, you can't you can't tell me that 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 this isn't a problem because I refuse to believe it. We once again now, as it's turned out this week, it hasn't been to our detriment we've still won the game and we've won by 1-0 fine but from what I can see and from what you said Birdie, that should have been 3-0 and it's a much more comfortable goal and actually towards the end we did again have that slightly nervous last 10 minutes where Watford really to their credit put all the pressure on to try and find themselves something out of that game can you imagine if if we hadn't have had that three goal cushion and an equaliser would have gone in then we'd have been talking again about a loss of two really important points and I'm It's On Groundhog Day, again, we're talking about it. I agree with Dyche. I have looked at that second, the one that is being shown, so many times and I just can't see where the offside is. And even when you look at it on a video replay, it's so difficult to say with any certainty that Ashley Barnes's big toe is just offside because it's so close. So if we're struggling on a video replay to say to say for any with any certainty that he's offside i refuse to believe that that linesman could see it so clearly in real time it's just shocking and it's we're only not talking about this more because we got away with it because sorry they got away with it because we won um but it, it is but you're right it's, it's week in week out isn't it you almost think well what's what's going to be next week you know what what controversy is going to happen again and you know what, what oh, it just it irritates me it really does
1: yeah, I think it's it's very disappointing. As I said on Twitter at the time, um, I, I really think Glee Pro, but shouldn't referee again in the Premier League. I thought it was a poor performance all round. Um, you know, he seemed very reluctant to get his cards out other than the, the, the red. Um, constantly surrounded by Watford players, which I think is something that really needs stamping out of the game. And I think it was overall a, a weak performance. Um, I think that's about it for the, the talking points from the Watford game. Um I don't think Nick Pope had, had too much to do and I think all round it was a, a good team performance that on paper looks worse than it was. It looks like we've we've only won one nil and you know I think the stat that's been rolled out a lot is that there's been less goals at Turf more than any other ground in the league. Um but obviously they should have been free on Saturday. So uh there's, there's two more there that that should definitely have been uh, countered. So moving on from the Watford game Obviously we've had it confirmed that Robbie Brady's likely to be out for at least six months. Um we, we covered this a little bit last week, so we'll just keep this as a brief. Uh yes, no. Um Natalie, do you think we get the checkbook out and, and try to yes. sign a, a yes. replacement even yes. if that's <laughs> someone who <laughs> in, I, mean. <laughs> I was going I was going to finish by saying even if that's someone who then stops Brady being able to get back into the side. Um Phil, Phil Bird asked me this at half time on, on Clarets player, and it really put me on the spot. And I think it's it's difficult but ultimately, you know, if the if the money's available to, to Dash and there's a player out there who he thinks um, you know, is his first eleven ready, I think it you know, you, you can't um, wait around, knowing that you've got Robbie Brady sort of sat out injured. I think you've got to spend the money, bring in a player you think can make an impact now, and then hopefully down the line you've got the uh, the benefit that there's Brady, Goodmanson, and whoever your new signing is all fighting out for a place on the wing.
2: You're completely right James and I think like I say we're not going to go over this this ground again because we talked about it at length last week and and I think I just um, reinforced Daniel um, Bentley's comments last week where he just said well number one we should be in the market for a 15 million pound um, midfielder winger if we can get one and secondly I, I don't think it's a bad thing at all to have cover in there for Brady and, and give Brady um, a fight to get back in the sit team and let's not forget that it's taken until this season for Brady to find his feet, and he has for the first few games this season he was in and out of it a little bit. We what uh, you know we we're in December already, and it's only really the last three or four games where Brady's been shining. So I don't entirely think it's going to do Brady that much harm to have some competition on that wing. I think it's a good thing. Get him, get him signed.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. It, it might drive Brady to improve his performance even further when he's, he he comes back. Um, so looking ahead now, the first of two games coming up the rest of this week is uh, Stoke at Turf Moor. It's an opportunity to go fourth in the league, albeit only for 24 hours before the rest of uh, the teams around us play. Um, last I read, it, it was expected that Matt Lawton had, had missed the game again uh, with the, the niggling injury he's got. Though I, I believe he's said recently he, he thinks he's close, so um, he might be able to make the trip on Saturday. Um, but Dash wouldn't be uh, drone on whether Mead be available, um, I think we all know Ben Mead's one of the probably one of the toughest footballers in the game. Um, there's, there's not much that stops him playing, so I think if he um, if the medical staff let him play, I think he he'll be back. Um, with that in mind, Natalie. How do you expect us to line up? Same as Saturday, or do you think Me's going to be available when he'll come straight back in?
2: Well, we don't we don't know, do we? I think it's um I, I agree with your analysis there, James. I think it'd take um a lot to keep Ben Mee out of that side. So I think it'll be exactly the same again, except we'll either have me or we won't. I, I don't think there's going to be any any surprises. Um To be honest, after after Kevin Long's performance on Saturday, if Ben Mee needs um another week to get himself absolutely right then that's fine Yeah, you know, of course we want him back as quickly as possible but actually we're not we're playing a side who we should comfortably beat t- on tomorrow night uh we're playing a side who are struggling and also a side who are leaking goals for fun um i'm not i don't think i can remember a stoke side in modern times that have been shipping four or five goals um as regularly as this stoke side are at the moment um I'm going to nip in here with something that James hasn't raised. I'm not sure whether or not he was planning on raising it, but one thing I did want to say, and I am prepared for the barrage of abuse that our listeners, ones who know me well, especially, and I can think of a certain names that are going to be on my case straight away um, to for, for saying this, but Mark Hughes is the Premier League manager who is under most pressure at the moment, and I fully expect him to be the next one to get sacked. Um, Stoke fans are turning on him. Um, they are struggling in this league and they are struggling to get themselves back. And I think that the Stoke board might consider it's time for a change. And if they do, I can absolutely 100% see them coming in for Dyche. Whether or not he would be as drawn to Stoke as he would be to, say, well, obviously the Everton job or, say, Leicester um, teams that I think we, we probably would have lost him to is another matter. But um, I fully expect that if Stoke do decide to sack Mark Hughes, we're going to be back in the Sean Dyche managerial merry-go-round that we've just survived. So, um, you know, I, th- I think we're we obviously going to um, want to beat Stoke tomorrow, but bear in mind, Burnley fans, that might come as a bit of a poison chalice. That's terrible, isn't it? I'm going to get grief from everybody for saying that. Sorry, listeners.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you making- well, there's, f- there's a few things out there that I want to bring up. Firstly... Who are you and what have you done with Natalie Bromway? That was very positive uh, that you expect us to definitely beat Stoke. <laughs> That's not like you at all. Um, following up from that, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Mark Hughes is under immense yeah, pressure, is. and um, one of the managers in, the, in my team at work he he lives near Stoke, Um, um he, he said that at the beginning of the season when we set up our football sweep, uh, sweepstakes, which has a, a first manager to go. Uh, prediction in, he thought that Hughes was one who could maybe have gone uh, first because the, the the locals weren't happy with the way Stoke were playing, they weren't happy with how Stoke were progressing um, I think Stoke are one of those teams that are getting to that stage now, they've been in the Premier League quite a long time they're quite established And um, we've seen it before with the likes of West Ham and it happens semi-regularly with Newcastle they sort of get a little bit comfortable and, and start to slip down the table um, and I think obviously the owner there will be uh, wanting to make sure that doesn't happen um, and I think we could be the the nail in the coffin, I was actually maybe slightly surprised that he, he didn't go after the, the 5-1 defeat from Spurs at the weekend Um it's quite a heavy defeat to take especially when Spurs haven't particularly been uh, scoring that many goals uh, in, in recent weeks so we could definitely be the, the, the team that finish him off but I'm gonna follow the line I, I followed her in the season. I think if Dash takes the Stoke job, he's he's mad, absolutely mad. Um, you know, he's in a position with Burnley, and, and people say turning down bigger jobs. Though I'd say Stoke's not necessarily a bigger job. Yes, they maybe have a little bit more money than us, but at the end of the day, they're still a team that aren't likely to to, to win any silverware. Uh, you know, they'll be looking mid table in the Premier League. I, I just. Can't see him wanting to to leave what he's, he's doing at the moment, and some people say it's a lack of ambition if he turns down these jobs. I think actually it shows a, a lack of ambition if he takes them. Um, you know he's got an opportunity here at Burnley, where now he's very very comfortably in sixth. Um, you know we, we've got a several game cushion on the the teams chasing. Um, he's got the opportunity to, to show how far he can take a team like Burnley, aside that, have, you know, not been at these heights uh, in English football for well over 30, 30, 40 years. And, you know, he's bringing one of the, as they used to call them, sleeping giants of the game back to, to the top half of the, the top division in the country. I think if he continues to, to get us to the end of the season and, you know, he finishes sixth, seventh, eighth, that's for me a, a massive achievement on his CV, and I think it, it puts him into that um, sort of league of managers who, um, you know, if he's especially if he's managed to shake the long ball tag, who could get one of the big jobs in the league. Um, and I think he, he he should be aiming higher than than Stoke. He, he shouldn't be considering leaving uh, Burnley mid-season. You know where we are right now for a team like Stoke, it's, it's just not a, a forwards move to me. So just continuing with with, with Stoke uh, Natalie um what do you expect from the game it's obviously a chance to go forth um even if it is only for 24 hours but as we said Stoke aren't mm-hmm. doing so well um do you do you fully expect us to take all three points?
2: I do. Yes, I really do. Um, I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough one, really, because Burnley away is is a really good opportunity for this Stoke side to um, recover from their recent form and to try and get some real bonus points just to to get comfortable again. And and it wouldn't surprise me if they come. To turf more and park eleven men behind the bus and and do what is it's it's a bit of a, the trend at the moment, isn't it? At the moment to, to play very defensively, even Jose at United is, is getting on the on the case as well. Um, so actually, Q's might very well set them up to be. Unbreakable, especially with the amount of goals they're leaking, and, and to frustrate us a little bit. If they do that and they do it very successfully, then I think that will be what will beat us because um, we have shown tendencies this this season to struggle a little bit to get a plan B against sides that do a Burnley on us. Um, if he doesn't, or if he doesn't do it particularly very well, then given the confidence that's, that's riding high in this side at the moment, then I fully expect us to take advantage. Um, they look shell-shocked in defence, and, and we saw we saw how nervous with the Watford defenders were with Good Munson for example and Good, and the Watford defence are way 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 stronger than the Stoke defence and you know they're a lot more um, composed than, than the Stoke defenders are at the moment so if we can get the, the boys oh my god it's such a shame that Brady's out Um if you know if we can get these wingers running out and Defoe, um as well helping out then I just don't think they'll know what to do with us so I'm, I'm feeling really confident.
1: Yeah I think it's a, a real opportunity for us to just take fourth place for 24 hours. It, it may only be 24 hours because other teams aren't playing till the day after, but, um, I'm sure other fans will, will be like me and be fought to work on Wednesday morning, particularly because I'm, I'm going to be in at about half six, which after traveling back to, to, to Walney from the turf will be, uh, not too enjoyable. Um, so looking further ahead, obviously Brighton away at the weekend. Um, one that I'm actually a little bit disappointed, I'm, I'm not going to, because I've been to Brighton away quite a lot and um, I actually really like their ground. I think it's it's a modern stadium, done right. Um, they've, they're very few and far between, but uh, I've I've seen some pretty enjoyable games at, at Brighton, I think, um, obviously from the, the goal that wasn't um, in the promotion season to uh, uh, even the game where he got sent off, I had a great time in the way on that day. Um I think they've they've had an interesting start to their their time as a Premier League side, and they they've not been sensational. They've, you know, they have not lit the their league up, uh, but at the same time, they've, they've certainly not disgraced themselves. Um, and they, they could prove a, a difficult game. I mean, they're still holding on mid table. I think ultimately that both them and Huddersfield are, are going to. Slowly sort of sink sink further back, though both could still manage to survive. Um, just looking at you know the way things are, the way things are going, if we do win t- tomorrow night and if we win on Saturday as well, um, that put us on 34 points, which is a hell of a total, uh, for us at the moment. And I think that'd be, um, an incredible little run to have had on the back of what was our, our worst free game sort of performance of the season with the the Arsenal-Bournemouth uh, Leicester games being that the first time we lost two games in a three game spell um, if we could then win three on the bounce to recover it, I think it puts us in a, a great place coming into that all important festive period of the season that we always talk about Um, Natalie do you think we can uh, get all three points at Brighton as well particularly the away form we've had so far yeah
2: I do um I actually think the Brighton's the trickier of the two fixtures. Um, I think Brighton have started phenomenally well. You're right. Um, I actually can't see Brighton going down, to be honest. I I think Huddersfield will still go down. I think the the wheels are coming off there. But I just think Chris Hooten's too good a manager. I think he's a really clever manager and he'll just be able to do what he needs to do to survive. And actually, Brighton have got goals in them. So I think that will help them to win some really key fixtures. So Brighton away is one that I'm not particularly looking forward to and i think if i had to say um if we could get a draw out of, of um Brighton I'd be very very happy now obviously we're we going there for the three points but I'd be very happy with the draw as well um, Brighton is showing a few hallmarks of a, a stereotypically newly promoted side in that they're, they're, there's a little bit of inconsistency creeping into their game um, if we catch them on an off day and we catch them on a day where they, they're just not quite there and we go with our confidence height especially if we win against Stoke then um, it should be a, a comfortable game and we should see it out but um, I'm, not, I'm not feeling as confident as I am as the Stoke game to be able to say yes, we're definitely going to win. I think it's going to be a tricky game. I think um, I also think as well um, uh, is, is Lockhart is he better again now because he did get injured, didn't he? I don't know how long his injury is for, but he's a he's a player I absolutely love and I would love to see it Turf more. Um And he's a really tricky player to try and mark. So if, if you know if we don't do a job on him, if indeed he is he is fit and playing, then we could be in for a tough afternoon. But The the most interesting thing that I'm looking forward to the Brighton game is to analyse just how much better we've improved in the two seasons that we've been here at the back of our second spell in the Premier League after 2014's. I'm talking that current Dutch era here. Um, You know, you look at the likes of Brighton and Huddersfield and God, you know, they've done really well. They, They might stay up, but then. You look at some of them games at play and you think, God, we're better than that. You know, we're a stronger side. We are playing better football. So we might be actually worrying for nothing and just be proved to be too strong for them when we go down to Brighton. But I'm, I mean, I'm really interested to see, um, as I was with the Watford game, to see whether or not we would got ourselves as good as Watford yet. To see if there is a massive difference between us and the sides who we expect to be fighting relegation come the end of the
1: season. I think there's a few interesting points there. I, I think Kanakar is expected to be back in the the side for um, the, the midweek fixture, so there's a there's a chance he will be playing at the weekend. And I agree, he's a you know a great player, someone they've they've definitely missed with the the time he spent out of the side so far this season. And um, I think at the moment Brighton are on a little bit of a poor run. Um, then and I I do agree, I actually expect that Huddersfield and more likely to get dragged into the, the 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 bottom three than they are. But um, Huddersfield actually beat them the other week two 0 So I think. Brighton in a bit of a, a tough patch, but if anything, we've seen in the past, that can mean teams are a little bit more difficult to beat. Um, you know, they, they're coming out, they're trying to prove a point. Uh, it's going to be an interesting game, I think, and um, one that I, I hope we can win. And if we do, it's just absolutely incredible to, to, to see where we could actually be after, you know, this stage in the, the season. I think um, if you'd looked at the beginning of the season, this would be a game that we're looking at to, to want to win um but likely for different reasons than we want to win it now. I think previously we would have been thinking after the tough start we had to the season, or oh, we, we really need to pick some points up coming into Christmas, we need to, you know, have some points out of our pocket to make sure that we're gonna be safe at the end of the season. But it's turned out that we're um we we more, more than on track to be safe. Um so I f- I think that's a, a, about all we've 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 got. Um I will and with one quick question, Natalie. Um total of six points on offer this week. How many do you think we get? Six. That's some positive. <laughs> I'm sure you, you must be must be feeling <laughs> ill this week. Um, I I totally agree. I think six points um is, is what we can hopefully expect from this week. I think uh two very winnable games for us, two games that we should be able to take full advantage of. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how, what position we're in coming into the festive period, and uh, you know what we could be potentially where we could potentially be sitting come come January. I think it's a a great time to be a Burnley fan. Um, just a, a few quick things to, to to go over before we we end the podcast. Uh, I've mentioned this a few times now, but um, Tim Quash has got a book out for more into the Emirates. Uh, they've got one more event coming up. It is on the the 13th of December at uh Smith in, in Charter Walk uh, between 4 and 6 uh, o'clock. Uh, Steve Kinder and Michael Doherty will definitely be there, and I believe Chris Pierce will possibly be there. That may have been confirmed by now, but I've I've, I've not got that information to hand. Uh, Tim's Book's raising funds for Prostate Cancer UK, um, along the lines of what Barry Kilby's obviously been doing since his diagnose, uh, diagnosis. Um Dave Thomas will also be there with his Mud Sweat and uh, Shea's book. Uh, so it's an opportunity to to get a Christmas present and uh, obviously all the money from Tim's book going to a really great cause. So if you can make it on to that, please do. Um, I'll hopefully be reviewing Tim's book on next week's podcast. Um, I've been reading it over the last couple of weeks. I've been very busy, so it's been a little bit difficult to to find the time to to dedicate to it but so far it's been a, a very interesting read particularly for, for those of us who are maybe too young to have been around uh, for the Orient game um, it's a, a little bit of an eye opener considering uh, where the club's been uh, to where the club obviously is now and uh, uh, maybe a little bit of a reminder to not take for granted uh, what we currently experience at the turf um, that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast um, we have got a competition still running with Savile Rogue on our Twitter, so head over there to to check that out. Uh, that ends on the fifteenth of December, so last couple of days to to get your entry in for that. Um, I've been Joe's Bird, um, and we'll see you next week on the None and Ever podcast. This time last year,
0: joining me this week are Natalie, James, and Kevin to talk about a win, Burnley victors at Turf Moor on Saturday, three-two victory over Bournemouth in the Premier League, back up to the heady heights of mid-table in the league. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
2: Here's a cool fact.